0: Listening to the ACB
1: Advocacy Update.
0: All right. Well, hello everyone. My name is Eric Bridges, and I am the Executive Director of the American Council of the Blind, and want to welcome you to ACB's Global Accessibility Awareness Day live event. So happy to have you all with us, uh, joined by two great guests today, and. We'll introduce them in just a minute. But before we do, want to let everybody know if you are interested in learning more about the American Council of the Blind, uh, want to become a member, interested in helping to support the organization, please feel free to visit acb.org. That's acb.org. Well, two great guests, as I said. I want to welcome Jennison Asuncion, the co founder of. Global Accessibility Awareness Day. Good afternoon, or good morning in your case, Jennison. Hey, Eric. Hello, everyone. Happy GAD. Indeed. Happy GAD to you. And Mike Shibanic, the leader of accessibility, head of accessibility at Facebook. Good morning to you, Mike.
1: Hey, Eric. Great to be here with you. Hey, Jennison. Happy, hey. Happy
0: GAD. Happy GAD. So guys, uh thought we would do just a little intro for each of you. Um Jensen, we'll start with you since you're you're the you're the the one that created this uh this day a co-created, decade ago. You
2: know, Unbelievable,
0: man. Ten <laughs> yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. You don't look like a day over nine. <laughs> <so>. <laughs>
2: It's those Asian, it's those Asian genes, man. I'll always look 10 years younger than I am. (laughs) There you go. Okay.
0: Rumor has it, Jennison you can't see and that you're Canadian. Are these
2: two things true? Those are, those are two truths. I became um, completely blind. uh, Probably when I was about 18 months old, if, if, if the lore is true, but yes, uh, optic atrophy um, and so I really haven't known any other life than being blind. Um, and why I say that is that means that I have not spent any time missing what I don't remember. Um, so I, whether you call that just by family upbringing or whatnot, um, I've just been very fortunate and um, in opportunities I've been given, et cetera, et cetera to to get to them now. Um, so family. Very important uh, for my journey as someone who is completely blind just trying to figure things out. Awesome.
0: And Mike, you have uh, worked for some very uh, notable companies in your career uh, focusing on accessibility. Can you kind of give us a, a quick thumbnail of your background and maybe a little bit you know how or why you came to accessibility?
1: Yeah thanks, Eric. Uh, I have worked previously at Apple for about eight years. Uh, I worked as uh, a product manager there for quite a long time and ultimately, maybe a long story, we can tell a short version of that. Became the head of accessibility there and uh, also as head of accessibility at Yahoo for a time and also Verizon Media, and now I'm head of accessibility at Facebook. So, been at, as you said, a couple of notable companies along the way and been working on accessibility at all of them. Um, just as way of background, um, I was a product manager for some interesting projects: uh, the original iMac, the original iPad, OS 10, iOS. And during my time at Apple, um, really got into accessibility when someone knocked on my door and said, "Hey, we need this thing called a screen reader for the Mac, and we don't have one. Just can you go figure out what to do?" And that launched me into, a, "What is a screen reader, and how does this work? And do people who are blind use computers?" And I got to be honest, like that was my introduction way back in like 2003, 2004, somewhere in there, uh, to really dig in and understand this space and understand this community. And it's been amazing ever since I've never, you can't shake this. It's fascinating, the people are amazing. The technology is interesting and it really changed my career and vectored me away from sort of traditional product development into accessibility and uh, ended up uh, proposing and creating the voiceover screen reader. So that was sort of my entree into the field and it's been amazing ride ever since.
0: That that is awesome. You were there for the beginning of the new Apple and for the 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 new Apple that included accessibility for the blind community, which has been just yeah. I mean, you know this. It's, it's it's been transformative.
1: Yeah, it was amazing to be there at that moment. I was there just a couple of years before Steve Jobs came back for his second round and left just about a year after he passed away. And so really for me, the golden years. Uh, the recreation of Apple, and certainly for accessibility. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into the conversation here soon about the iPhone development and voiceover uh, touch and all those kinds of things. It was really quite an incredible moment. And uh, proud to have done that work with the team there and then carry it on with the other companies I've worked at and um, doing some cool things at Facebook now.
0: That's great. So, Jenison, uh, so you still understand that you're a blind guy. And uh, <laughs> so <laughs> what what prompted you? I just like teasing you. Um, what prompted you to get involved with accessibility? Did you come through your schooling, yeah. you know, in uh, uh, computer science or engineering, or what? What kind of sure. got you into this? Space? Yeah,
2: yeah. It's it's interesting because it, it's it's a tale of two things. Because on the one hand, yes, I you know I'm completely blind um, and understood the power that technology could have when placed in disabilities, because when I was 17 years old, I went to a a summer program for uh, blind and visually impaired youth that was run by the CNIB back in Canada. And that was the first time I'd been around other blind or visually impaired youth, frankly, uh, that were age appropriate and that were, you know, that had gone through schooling and such. Um, So that was transformative in itself, uh, not being the only quote unquote blind person in in the room. Um, but then the second piece was I had already been fortunate enough to have been exposed to what a screen reader was and even a braille display. Um, but there were people there that had never seen either or screen magnification software. And to just observe, cause I did a lot of observing, um, it was very emotional for some of these folks uh, who'd been told that their visual impairment or their blindness was, was a burden or, or something that they should be ashamed of. And here they were learning about technology and computers. Now, Part and parcel with that is, as I was going through high school, I was told by well-meaning professionals that as a blind person, I should just be happy passing math. That that pursuing sciences or engineering shouldn't be something I should aspire to. Um, I should get involved in a more people-oriented uh, profession. And no, no offense to any of those professions at all. Um, I was struggling through as a first-generation immigrant of uh, being Filipino. Um, you know, we, we had the same thing burned into our brain. You become a doctor, lawyer, or engineer to make your family happy. Um, hmm. So I was struggling with that, struggling with the math phobia, but then knowing I wanted to get involved in technology. So fast forward, I did a bunch of things. Uh, first of all, I did that whole I need to prove myself to myself and to others. So I spent a year each in community college and in university studying computer science. Um, and it was miserable absolutely miserable because of the math. I was passing, but it, just, it, was, it was miserable. Uh, but long story short, I did a number of uh, things. I was an e-learning developer and a project manager for e-learning systems, uh, both of which would help me in my ultimate career, which has been working in accessibility full-time since 2006. I remember quitting my job as a project manager with no parachute, but I wanted to figure out what I wanted to do next with my life. That was in the summer of 2006. And friends of mine said, hey, you've always cared about accessibility. Why don't you do something that you're passionate about? I was always of the mind that, hey, it would be too easy for me as the blind guy to work in accessibility. So part of it was that I didn't wanna do it just because. I wanted to do it because it it was gonna be impactful. Um, And so I sat on a journey from that point and interviewed at a lot of places and realized I didn't have the schooling because they were out looking for QA testers and I I couldn't answer half their questions and I would stop the interviews and say, you know what, this is a waste of uh, both of our time. And then my resume got seen by the manager of the accessibility team at the Royal Bank of Canada in Toronto, and the rest was history from there. uh, I got hired there, and here I am now, uh, not this second, but in general, I I live and work in the Silicon Valley. I'm here in Vegas uh, celebrating GAD uh, right now. But uh, that's my story in a nutshell. So it was quite a journey. I'm also blessed and grateful to have only been unemployed once by choice. And that was when I quit my job as a project manager and the other in the 2001 recession. Um, So uh, I've been very fortunate that way as
1: well. Eric, if I can jump in. I just want to add this about Jenison knowing them now for many years. uh, That Jenison is one of those great people that just connects people. He's like, you got to meet this person. Oh, they're working on this great project. You got to know who they are. And so this is just one of Jenison's natural gifts. (laughs) And so his ability to build a network and a community of people interested in accessibility in in Canada and the East Coast is amazing and then when he came out to silicon valley recreated that entire thing so it's a natural fit it makes perfect sense that he works at linkedin sure. that's what he do. and it's a natural fit that he be the co-founder of gad which is about raising awareness because these are two things that you if you meet jenison for 30 seconds this is him this is what he does this is who <laughs> he is and I, he's one of those guys after having known him now for a while that you after 30 seconds can't remember when you didn't know Jennison. He just this always seems. True. In the show. This is very was, true. It's fun to be on the on the show with him today. Jennison definitely
2: grows on you.
0: <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> yes <laughs> after after okay. bugging Eric after bugging Eric while he was a judge for the Holman Prize, he he, he, he still
1: returned my phone calls. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, you. I was going to add, Jonathan. Everybody's miserable doing math. I know. Was, <laughs> I like. I don't know anybody who's like, "Oh man, that was great. That was fun. Love doing." And that this job. was
2: and this was math in braille. So there were pages uh, and pages of calculus equations on multiple pages and multiple steps, and I yeah, had to and I would funny. have to read that back to a scribe. Oh man. my gosh!
0: Wow. All right. So let's bring it to this day. Um, Which day? this day this holiday yes um what prompted you to uh to create global accessibility awareness day and um you know i'll open it up further to the two of you you know what Mm. what does this what has this day meant or what does it mean to you now
2: Right. So I'll, I'll start um, real quick uh, to give the, the quick, the, the, the notes version of the story of GAD. Uh, co-founding a partner, Joe Devon, uh, back in 2011, his dad, uh, like many, of, many dads, uh, was uh, getting older and starting to lose his hearing and his vision. And so he couldn't do uh, in-person banking anymore and telephone banking was off the books. And so Joe tried to get his dad onto uh, online banking. And it was quick to learn that the, the online banking experience was not accessible to Joe's dad. And what do tech people do when they get a B in their bonnet? They take to their blog. And so Joe wrote a blog post um, that, that was really just at the core. It was, it was calling develop, developers out and saying that they didn't know anything about accessibility but needed to learn about the basics. And like most developers knew nothing about screen readers and what those did. And so he called for this day, a global day of awareness. Um, Now, put that to the side for a second. Um, I was doing my own thing back in Toronto, trying to figure out how to make accessibility interesting and fun for developers and designers. And so I started something called Accessibility Camp Toronto and it was just thinking through things. And then this fateful Saturday that I was, I had no plans to, I guess I didn't go out that night. Um, I was trolling on Twitter as one does, and I got an auto tweet From Joe's blog that said someone named Joe Devon just tweeted uh, created this blog called "Accessibility Must Go Mainstream Now!" exclamation mark and I was like, "What is this?" So I I activated the link uh, with my screen reader um, and I read his blog post. Uh, which you can all see if you go to globalaccessibilityawarenessday.org and, and click on or activate the About button. Um, and you can actually read the blog post. Um, and so that's how it started, uh, was Joe's blog post. Uh, and he and I got together, talked about it, chose a date, and started making phone calls and sending emails and saying to people, would you do something for this? And people just stepped up and uh someone who who Mike knows uh, well, Victor Saren, I'm 99% sure he was one of the first uh, speakers at Joe's LA event. And I I worked with Utah Traheranis in Toronto to have space to run an event in Toronto. And there were some events all over the place. Um, So that was then. Now, what does GAD mean to me now? Um, Well, it's obviously the time when my body uh, isn't appreciative of me because it's the time when my body gets no sleep. Uh, particularly because we're at our 10th anniversary and I've got stuff going through sa- end of day Saturday.
0: But so has it been it-
2: going this whole week, pretty much? Uh, yeah, kind of, yeah. sort of. But but what does it mean to meet now? What it means is that people are getting excited about accessibility. If you go onto Twitter, if you go any any social media and you use the, the hashtag GAD, you'll see people saying stuff like, I never knew about this, or wow, like. All kinds of stuff. And this is what we want. We want the conversation to happen. Uh, And we want people to feel comfortable asking questions and doing all that kind of stuff. That's one of the reasons why we also launched the foundation, um, which I can get into after uh, we hear uh, from Mike about what Gad means to him.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Jennison. I yeah. think it's uh, I remember back now almost, gosh, has it been a decade or so when I first met you or in heard about this and I just thought that was exactly what we needed because having sort of just started this work myself, there was so much I didn't know and there was so much to share that I was learning that I was excited about and we needed in a way, I don't want to dismiss it, but an excuse to get mm-hmm. together and have a moment. Now the work goes on every day of the year, as you guys know, um, but it is really important that there is a moment to stop and recount and recollect what has been done, what needs to be done, where are we now? And so um, Global Accessible Awareness Day, for me as the head of accessibility, was that moment to rally everyone and celebrate what had happened to give people a sense of, hey, this can be done. This is great. This is exciting. People care. This is serving a real need, uh, but also share kind of what we learned and what we need to know. And, and bridge, as I like to talk about it, bridge the disability community or the blindness community with the able or sighted community because there is some separation there and we want inclusion. Ultimately, that's what this is all about. And so um, having the ability to sort of rally those troops and get everybody to just focus for a moment. It's, it's interesting as I kind of learn this through my own work at, at many companies now, engineers, designers, managers are actually quite interested in trying to advance this. They just don't know. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to start. They don't know who to talk to. And I think that's what GAD's been doing is it's been bridging that gap of helping people understand, oh, this is what this means. This is why this is important. Here's how we can get started. Here's great examples of some amazing work that we can kind of use as our own example or guidepost. And so um, it has been absolutely invaluable for me in this technology space, but also as a leader um, to try and bridge these cultures and advance the work.
2: And Mike, and Mike, you've done uh, last year. Uh, you um, along uh, through Facebook uh, took a really tangible step in that direction in, in taking what we what we call uh, and which is part of the foundation now the GAD pledge, which is an opportunity for organizations to. Uh, declare up front that accessibility is a core value in in, in, in their uh, frameworks and I don't want to get too technical here but there is a, there is something called react native which is an open source framework which powers so many thousands of mobile uh, apps and what what Mike did uh, with working obviously within Facebook uh, and react native being being um, so, something that um, is is a Facebook is Facebook driven. Um, he arranged it that so that React Native would would take that step and become that much more accessible by taking the GAD pledge and and making the the code. And again, I'm not simplifying this because I, I I don't want to get too geeky. But making those <laughs> making those code snippets those components accessible so that your everyday developer or designer didn't really need to think too too much about like, the inner workings of everything. They knew that, that these things are accessible if they're used in an accessible way, following the documentation. And so Mike, I wanna take the, the opportunity that we have here to thank you for doing that with React Native. And I know that you, you folks aren't over, you're still on your journey and you're gonna continue right. long past the pledge. Mm-hmm. um to do that um but i will take this uh for, so so thank you very much mike for doing
1: oh <laughs> well, you're very welcome thanks for for mentioning that jenison i really appreciate it and i have to say it just ties so well into gad when when you and joe first approached me and said hey we have this idea of companies taking a pledge and making a moment as we talked about mm-hmm. like to say it took mike three minutes three seconds <laughs> to say yeah. that if I could have said it faster, I would have It's <laughs> such a great idea that, again, this is work we are doing and wanted to do. But again, to rally around a moment to say, you know what, it's worth companies like Facebook to step up and be an example and lead and, and reinforce the need for companies to commit not only internally, but publicly about the projects that they're working on for accessibility. And React Native, as you mentioned, is a great example. It was invented by Facebook, but then made available to everyone in the world Mm -hmm. through this thing called open source. So you can go to a website and download it and build on it and not just use it, but actually add to it. And we just wanted to make sure that anybody who was using that could make accessible apps for mobile phones. And as you said, it powers thousands and thousands of apps today. And we wanted no excuses for people to say, well, I couldn't make it accessible because the, this kit, this framework, it wasn't helping me do that. So we wanted to make it super easy and, and, and send that signal that, hey, if you're using this, make your apps accessible, make them work with screen readers. Um, yeah. So we're yeah, proud yeah. to do it, happy to do it. And I'm really thrilled to know um, that another company has stepped up and yeah, is doing- Yeah, well, another
2: framework, yes. So the Ember JS framework, which is, which is uh, uh, powering many, many websites around uh, including LinkedIn's, uh, but others as well. Uh, they've they've uh, taken the pledge, so that you are you've handled the baton uh, to to uh, to the EmberJS JS crew, and we are just so delighted. And we're going to keep doing this. We are going to keep challenging and and having these uh, open source projects uh, take on the pledge because the WebAIM Aim um, survey that just came out recently, where they looked at the million, uh, million top million websites still 97.4% of all home pages out there have at least one accessibility issue. That's one accessibility issue too many. As myself as a screen reader user or as a refreshable Braille user, yes, I am a Braille user. Uh, I'll just slip that in there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, you know, we need to do, we we need to do a lot better. So the GAD pledge is one piece uh, that we have folded into the, uh, just announced today, uh, GAD Foundation.
0: Cool. Then we'll get to the foundation in a minute. Um, so you know, we keep teasing about it? Can we? Yeah. It's a tease. It's great. Um, let's get into the way, way back machine or the way back, the way back machine <laughs> and um, go back, you know, a decade and think about sort of where the, the, the accessibility landscape um, was then. Um, I can remember... Uh, you know, having an iPhone was probably an iPhone four. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, using uh, gosh, it may have still been Office two thousand three <laughs> um, in Jaws, um, but and and mainly utilizing uh, websites through a browser uh, on my on my laptop. Uh, and I think at that point, it was still. You know, Internet Explorer was still probably the the leader. Mm -hmm. And um, finding uh, all kinds of challenges utilizing websites, uh, mainly e-commerce, I would say, was uh, a big challenge about a decade ago. Um, And apps were obviously becoming more prevalent for for mobile devices, uh, but apps were a lot more volatile. From uh update to update, uh accessibility could be destroyed or severely impacted, or something away the navigation could completely change at times from update to update. And I, I actually remember Facebook, the Facebook app um had had challenges that we worked with Facebook through um to to, to correct. And um th- these are some of my observations. So Kind of the user interface component navigation um were challenges. Um Mike, in your, you know, in your roles during those kind of eleven, twelve, thirteen, um, you know, what did you see? What did you witness uh inside the orgs that you were in?
1: Well, we're gonna need a couple of hours, Eric, to recount all of this. There's a there's a book somewhere. Just like, well, there's there's only one or two things, right? Uh, I want to go like you went to the Wayback machine 10 years ago, but I want to go maybe to the way, way back machine. Because I remember uh, as I was learning about these things and talking with friends who are blind and, and and the stories they would tell me about wearing backpacks full of technology to walk down the street or to to hear something on a computer and the kludginess of like plugging together bits and parts and pieces in their garage and trying to figure all this stuff out. So the idea that you could have this mobile thing that fit in your hand that you could take anywhere that was always online, that was always connected, and was, by the way, a nice phone, but really was used for web browsing and apps and things, was kind of this magical moment. And and I think what made it particularly magical was... Um, that it was in, in iPhone 3GS and later so accessible out of the box. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's a real milestone, is one of the goals that I had as you know, in, in leading the project. And it's one of the things, honestly, I don't know how well this story has been told or heard, but when I was proposing to build VoiceOver, I was a little anxious about how I was proposing this to our chief technology officer. And so we walked through all the things that we could do and make a screen reader. And should we sell it or buy it or lease it or loan it? Or should it be built in? Should it be downloaded? all these different kinds of questions? And finally, and this was a good lesson to me, but finally he asked me, he says, I get the feeling that there's something else you're not asking or telling me because you're going through all these things and they all sound interesting, but there's nothing really revelatory here. And I finally just got to the point where I thought, you know what, I need to just go for it. And I said, honestly, I said, here's what I really want to do, but it sounds so ridiculous that I'm kind of ashamed to ask. And I should have been way more forward. So anybody out there who's listening to this story, be bold, uh, because that's what leaders, great leaders want. And so I said, what I really want to do, what I think really needs to be done is that we should build the best one in the world and give it away for free and build it into everything we make. And he said, why would we do that? And I said, because it will change the world. It will change how people think about technology, assistive technology, and product development. And if we can set that example, others will follow. And so we, and he says that I love and that I can take to Steve. And I said, great. And that's, he said, go make it. And that's how it all got started for me. And, and, and in a way rebirthed the accessibility at Apple, which had been great at this in the earlier days with the Apple team. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Alan Brightman led that team was amazing, but it, Apple fell down and was really in deep trouble that kind of faded away. And it was really needed to kickstart and this really got it going again. And so that's how we got on the voiceover project. And that led to eventually We could never have done voice over the phone without having done it from the Mac Um, and what we learned and what we needed to do and and building up um, relationships with the community. So those things were important. And I think now that we kind of, as you said, go back and think, what was life like 10 years ago? iPhone was just kind of getting rolling. At the time, there was no plan to do apps. It was going to come from Apple with what it came with. And that was it. And it was the community that begged Apple, please let us build these apps. These are really cool. We can do more with this. And it was a change of heart that allowed uh, people um, to then start building apps and create this ecosystem. And so uh, it was a little wobbly when we got started, as you mentioned, Eric. There were some yeah. things that good, some things that weren't so good, and a lot of us just learning. You know, it was a new platform. It was a new way to build right. apps. We talked about React Native um, and how you build apps with that. And so it just. You know, here we are today, and now we kind of take for granted that mobile phones are everywhere. We can have apps to control things, and, and away we go.
2: So if I could step in and say, uh, take it to go way, 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 way back as an end user who, who again, who's completely blind. Uh, you know, I started off with a manual typewriter, electric typewriter. My first hint of a screen reader were my cousins who would read stuff on screen to me as I was creating little programs in BASIC on, on Commodore 64s. Uh, But then then I had an Apple IIc with the Echo Speech Synthesizer, and I was doing stuff there. And then I got my first uh, uh, back-breaking computer, which was a Versabrailer with the tape deck uh, and the Versabrailer with the disk drive. Yeah. And the Arctic speech synthesizer. I remember that. Uh, and then wow, here and I am. Now you're
1: throwing down all your credit for yeah,
2: yeah, yeah,
1: Back then, that's awesome, right?
2: And yeah. a little bit of a little bit of uh, playing around with Window Eyes, but then over to Jaws and and all that yeah. stuff with the iPhone, and all of those things, and just the idea that, first of all, I, my back could have been saved if I had, if I was growing up now. But, but, but there is a fear there, and, I, you know, we laugh a little, but um, I, I have this feeling that some uh, professionals who are teaching kids now are seeing this as an opportunity to stop teaching Braille because, hey, we have these phones and other devices and things where you can use screen readers, and every blind person just needs to use a screen reader, and that's all that needs to happen. So we need that type of thinking to stop because pe- there are people like myself who are not audio learners, particularly for the maths and sciences, which we struggle with. I needed to see I needed to feel those equations on paper to understand. I used a, a Taylor slate. Some of you might know, know what that is to do arith- arithmetic. Um, so that's like using a pencil and being able to like scratch things out. And I use like Braille graphs and geometry. I used a, 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 like almost a tailor's Taylor, a wheel to draw things out. I needed to feel those things and see those things. Yeah, the, um, the
0: spatial uh, yeah. component of it is really important, is yeah. it not? I mean, I'm, I'm dealing with uh, a six-year-old son who's doing, you know, three-digit uh adding and subtraction yeah. right and he's yeah. he's very good and about another year i won't be able to help him with his math anymore
2: he will have yeah.
0: gone by me but yeah. you know the the spatial nature of it the showing your work um you know as as blind people i think we tend to have uh almost like photographic memory or uh, not me we, we put stuff generally more in our head yeah yeah but there, there are certain aspects of our lives where we need to have that with us at our, oh. at our,
2: at our fingertips. Oh, um, well, I carry really a slate and stylus in my backpack, you know, with my laptop because every once in a while when I, need to, when I give a talk, if I need to stay focused, I will have Braille index cards with just some keywords on them to keep me in mind. I wear a Braille watch um, because I want to be able to be discreet looking at the time. Yeah. Um, so anyway, for for any number of reasons, I just I guess what I want to say is Braille is not dead. Uh, contrary to popular contrary to popular belief, uh, and if I have anything to say about it, uh, blind kids should be given that opportunity, and obviously blind adults too. But Amen. Uh, start That's them, start them young. Start them young. Yep.
1: Yeah, and I remember when this came up when we were building uh, voiceover initially, and people were like, "Are we going to do Braille or not?" I'm like, "What do you mean? It's online." They're like, "Well, you can do like electronic Braille and output to Braille devices," and we had. Uh, a really deep discussion about how important this was. And we got uh, a lot of lessons from the, from the blind community about the need for Braille. And at that time was probably, you know, back in 2004 five, maybe at its lowest point. I don't know if it's gotten a ton worse now, but um, the idea of building Braille into the system and enabling people to output in Braille uh, or mm-hmm. use Devices as you know, refreshable braille displays, note takers, and things. Um, and that's it's the story behind why there's something called the braille panel in VoiceOver. Um, what we realized was there would be parents who are sighted at home working with their kids who are learning braille and they wouldn't be able to interact. And so we created a visual that you could huh. bring up on screen that would show the braille dots and then the English or other language translation underneath. Nice. So that a sighted parent or tutor or coach or whoever could actually interact, it, you know, with that person using Braille
2: That's and have their
1: conversations and reinforce, again, just by being there, yeah. by having Braille in that system, people were then more aware of it. They assumed it was, of course, you'd have to have Braille. How could you not have Braille? It's right there. And uh, that was our little tip of the cap to like how important Braille is for literacy and for potential job employment later. Uh, that it should be considered part of the system as you go forward. So a little backstory there, but I thought it was. No, that's am- I, that, I that's, that,
2: that is amazing. Like I just, I, I, whenever I see new innovations, uh, I, I like to see the fact that refreshable Braille displays are getting a lot cheaper. So they yeah. become more financially accessible to more people. Um, I, I don't know how the programs work here in the U.S. in terms of whether there's opportunities in different states if you're someone who's blind to get subsidies for yes. getting uh, technology. I know in Canada, they they and each province is different. But, uh, you know, I don't want to overhammer home the point, but I will, um, that, um, you know, kids should be given the option to learn Braille, uh, even with the technology. There's Braille displays, so you don't have to use paper, or the old Perkins Braillers, which which double, by the way, as great bench press.
1: Uh, they uh, do battering <laughs> rams.
2: Yeah, All these yes. <laughs> and, and good yeah. ways to stub your toe. Yeah. But, God. Uh, <laughs> yes. Absolutely.
1: Well, Jenison, you're king for the day, being the co-founder of Gad, so you can pretty much say whatever you want. Right. 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 People. Yes. <laughs> I
0: think don't they're made of old Soviet tank parts. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. No. Uh, they but, were good. And the Perkins working. brother was very important to me growing up, and I still, um, we still have one at home um, nice. that I will, in a pinch, use to take notes for presentations that I'm going to be giving. Mm-hmm. Um, I still, um, I'm not as good a reader as you, Dennison, but I, I, I like my braille um, yeah. um, to help prompt me to yeah. track.
2: So, well, when I can been, yeah, can I just very quickly, real, real yeah. quick? So, one of the things when, when I, so coming from Canada, we had to learn French. And I, I also took Spanish, and because I went to a Jesuit school, I also learned Latin. And so part of it the happens. way we were, but part of the way we were graded was being able to read out loud passages. How does someone do that if they're just using a screen reader? Are you just repeating? Like so. Anyway, that's just another reason why the braille, knowing braille, is so important. Anyway, exactly. I, I digress <laughs> as I as I take a bite out of the sandwich. This is my first meal since. Six o'clock last night. Everybody watch Jenison
0: Eat Live. <laughs> All right, cool. Well why don't we why don't we spin it forward to today and talk a little bit? Let's um let Mike, you, you brought it up the whole backpack thing, right? Yeah. The 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 bag full of assistive tech that one needed to have in order to go out and uh, navigate the world, go on a trip. What have you? Uh, GPS, um, other other devices, note takers, uh, slates, all these things that that readers. Read, yeah, in the early to mid two thousands, um, up to 10, 10 years ago. Now, um, how much lighter is your bag, Jennison?
2: My bag, honestly, the only thing that's in there now is a laptop. All right. Uh, it, that, yeah, I mean that's as light as it's gotten. Is carrying a laptop, um, my phone in my pocket, and my laptop, yeah. and that's it. Now, no You've got Braille. two computers,
0: ones in your pocket and one's yeah. in your bag, and
2: that's it. And I can obviously, I can negotiate the world with just my lap, my um, my phone. Uh, for my personal life, I do not have any of my professional stuff on my phone. I do have that separation. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it, like I said, chiropractors. Look must at love you! Us. You've got boundaries. Yes, I do. I do. I do. <laughs> all but right. I have all—I have all my night jobs on my phone. So get out <laughs> okay. and, all right. and camp and all those things. Mm-hmm. But but no, in all seriousness, like every chiropractor must be so pissed now because I'm not <laughs> that's, that's much business from us blind folks. Who, you know, we're not breaking our backs. But in all seriousness, I would have these big braille books, and then I would have my VersaBrailer, mm-hmm. you know, and I'd have all kinds of stuff in there. And I don't know how I lifted it, and I was trudging through snow. In the winters in Montreal, right. uh, yeah, it was it was not pleasant. So,
0: a couple of apps that I think have been really helpful with regard to object identification as well as uh, navigation, uh, the Seeing AI app, um, mm. over the last four years has come mm-hmm. a long way and has replaced. Uh, you know, it's sort of become an all-in-one. With the different channels that it has to be able to read short text and uh, documents and uh, currency reader and and all of that and its uh, barcode reader, um, and it's gotten you know it's made uh, leaps forward each year in what it's able to do and it's free. Um, Imagine that, which is which yeah. is also cool. And then Soundscape, which you know is really for outdoor navigation and being able to to locate. Uh, Landmarks um, has been a really nice app to have uh, in the arsenal that, again, is free. And, you know, we were in this weird period probably seven, eight years ago when you guys agree where there were apps that existed. Some of them were a lot better than others, and a lot of them cost money uh, monthly to be able to utilize and to have a, a big company like Microsoft uh, step up and develop this and uh, have it available for free has been, um, you know, it's been a, a pretty noteworthy success.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is what technically people call the consumerization of technology. You know, a long time ago, it was really special. It was hobbyist. It cost a lot. And now you just walk down to any store and, and in fact, it would probably be, you'd be hard pressed to find someone now, no matter where they are in the world, honestly, that doesn't have a smartphone that isn't connected. And, and that is a massive change in our ability to get access to things, the potential to be connected, to be included, to participate, to be heard, have a voice. And I'll just drop in. Cause I need to, yes, fa- all of Facebook's products are free too, uh, mm-hmm. and we can mm-hmm. have a million people around the planet, right? So, yeah. Uh, That stuff could not happen before. I mean, you might have it at your home with your computer, but you leave the home and suddenly you're just kind of on your own out there. And now, of course, we take for granted that it's in your pocket and you always have access to Instagram or Facebook or Messenger or WhatsApp or whatever the thing might be. Um, And so it is amazing because we also recognize that economic um, issues affect access. And before, yes, someone somewhere might have that $10,000 Braille display But now that you can get a Braille display for a couple hundred bucks, it changes the game because you might get it paid for the first time, but that second time you're on your own and having access and then losing it in a lot of ways is kind of worse because now you know what you're missing. And, uh, and so it's been really cool to be part of the technology sphere as it has become mainstream. And now everyone has these things. Jenison says, I've got it in my pocket. It's a (laughs) wearable. I wear it every day, right? (laughs) It doesn't have to be literally on my wrist, even though now we have wrist, uh, Uh, devices as well but um it has been really amazing to watch the technology and you mentioned seeing ai we have something called aat which we invented i think about uh five years ago and just updated in january which is automatic alt text you can imagine there's billions of photos in the world especially on facebook and instagram um, that people upload but forget to add the descriptions. So when you come across them in a screen reader, it, you know, it's this image or photo. And so this is using artificial intelligence and computer vision to figure out what's in that image and generate a description on the fly for those images that don't have the alt text. And that's pretty impressive. And that's kind of the same principle that's behind seeing AI. Um, but that kind of forward leaning new technology is enabling these things that seem really kind of magical.
2: And we similarly at LinkedIn, um, leveraging Microsoft technology, have smart, automatic, alternative text description generation. Wow, I actually said that all in one breath. In the midst of the sandwich, too. Oh, right? yes, yeah, yeah. Um, particularly on our iOS uh, and Android apps, um, having that available um it has, has 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 been amazing, and just to be able to know that the image is there, as someone again who's blind, at least I, I get some some not knowing of what's what's in there. It might not be perfect because nothing ever is. Uh, I think Mike would agree with that. Um, but it's at least it's it's a start. We're always perfecting all of that stuff. It's it's you know as much as we talk about accessibility as a journey. So are these technologies? It's a journey to get those technologies even better and better. Every iteration. Um, getting that, getting that close to the right, I just wanted to keep adding to what, uh, what Mike was saying just about technology. And Eric, you were saying too, you know, we started with like 12 devices and we now have like a couple of apps that serve all purposes. And it's just going to be fascinating to see as we move forward, you know, who knows what the next technology is going to be. Uh, there's a lot of work being done on mixed reality, uh, augmented, community, uh, augmented reality, Mixed reality, virtual reality, all of those things, and there's some really smart people working on making sure that stuff is accessible. And it's just, you know, now we're in a situation where we can get in at the ground level um, to influence stuff. So,
1: and, sure. yeah, I was going to add to Eric. The I think one of the most interesting and amazing developments that, at least being on the inside, never anticipated was this idea of of uh, phone controlled products where you buy something like your doorbell <laughs> and you want to use it Find out who's at the door, but you don't have to get up and go to the door. You just pull out your phone and you check and you ask and you get that information. Um, you want to turn uh, on and off lights in your home or change the volume of speakers or whatever it happens to be. You just go to your phone in your pocket and you adjust those things through your phone because those smartphones, whether it's Android or iOS are now so much more accessible. That's real. Like it's possible if those devices hadn't been made uh, as accessible as they are, then the idea of having phone controlled products really wouldn't exist in the way it does uh, for people who are blind. And, and I think that's one of the cool outcomes that no one could have anticipated, but now kind of seems to make the perfect sense.
2: Yeah. I have blind friends who use the like things like the Instapot and they're telling me, yeah, I control stuff through my phone. And I'm
1: like,
2: I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't cook. Cool. So I gotta, I gotta check this out. Um, but I, I like to Mike to your point. I mean, the big one of the big fears uh, I I have is as I'm starting to look at at purchasing uh, uh, real estate is like the the appliances that are already in place. And I know I can swap them out if I want to, but a lot of those have like on-screen menu systems, uh, and so the ability for me potentially to to use my phone to control those. Um, and not even have any worry as to whether I could control yep. them as is. So, because why should I have to swap out my washing machine? Why should I have to swap out my my oven and stove just because it, it's it's a touchscreen and I might not be able to use it as it is, but if I could control it through my phone using voiceover, um, my goodness. Like, sky's yes. the limit. Sky is the limit.
0: My, my yes. wife and I are having these same discussions because we have <laughs> – Appliances that we inherited when we bought our home nine years ago, and they are now getting very old mm-hmm. and, you know, having it, having it through your phone or through, you know, uh, an Echo Alexa enabled device of some sort or, or Google
1: yep.
0: uh, to be able to, to tell it to do whatever, preheat at 350. Mm-hmm. Um but but ensuring that that stuff is going to be accessible when we buy it, right? That's been one of the fears of our community down through the years is that something will report to be accessible and in particular in the appliance world, right? And we don't, that's an area that we've not really um, touched a lot upon in a lot of the technology talks that um, are done. Um, is the area where about. we live, yeah. you know, where we live, right? Yeah. And it's, it's a key in there often, uh, significant purchases right in terms of dollars and mm-hmm. buying one and bringing it home and then having it be as useful as a brick to you is uh, yeah. that's a downer right so <laughs> massive
1: bummer yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely
0: so let's spin it forward here as we sort of uh, look to conclude and, and by the way guys we've we've gone like over 45 minutes and it feels like it's been about 10 um, <laughs> yeah. and, um, so we are where we are today. Um, You know, from the two of you, I'm interested, um, you know, where are the gaps that still exist? And where do we, where do you think we're going to be in five years with some of these gaps? You know, the, the, you know, the, the AI component, you know, which we haven't really said AI very much today, but apps like AAT and seeing AI and and all of that rely heavily upon AI um, to, to provide us the information that we need, as well as within you know the Facebook app is probably the, the most readily um, recognizable area, right? Where where AI is playing a role in terms of photos that, that blind people can literally. Here, as they're scrolling through their news feeds, but where, you know, from where we are today, the gaps that exist today to the next five years, what, what do we need to, what, where do we need to go? What do we need as, you know, as the tech sector or other sectors, what investments need to be made in order to ensure that we uh, number one, don't lose footing, uh, but are able to, to uh, you know, collapse those gaps and continue moving forward.
2: One of the, one of the things, uh, a simple thing that needs to happen is your everyday designer, developer, engineer, product manager. I hear this so often saying, like, where are these folks with disabilities or impairments? We'd love to just have an opportunity to chat, even for like an hour, just to find out what technology are they using, what's working, what's not. There isn't enough of that kind of conversation, and I'm not suggesting uh, like a user s- research study, which is a lot more uh, methodologically based, but just a conversation with people. Um, and I know for a fact that there are lots of blind and visually impaired folks out there who would love to talk to your everyday engineer, yes. designer. We are uh, out there. <laughs> you are out there. So, um, you know, preemptively, I will mention uh, something called the GAD exchange. Is gonna help try to help close that gap. That's another piece of the GAD Foundation, which we announced today. And it's gonna be a platform where your everyday designer, developer, et cetera, et cetera, can um, express interest in wanting to speak to someone who may happen to have a specific disability or impairment about their day-to-day use of technology. And just we want we want that conversation, we want that conversation to happen early and often. Uh, because enough. So that's that's one area that, that investment that we're hoping will, will do um, something that Mike that's close to Mike and my hearts are making sure that students who are graduating from computer science, engineering, design and related disciplines have fundamental knowledge of both disability and accessibility is as, as they're, as they're learning how to build technology because they're going to graduate. Access. Yeah. And yes, teach access. And so we have an ambitious goal um, meet through LinkedIn's affiliation with teach access and certainly Facebook's affiliation um, with teach access. We have this ambitious goal of meeting uh, 1 million students by 2030 having graduated with some knowledge of accessibility uh, because that's where the, all, a lot of this stuff starts. If the students are the ones saying, you know, hey, what about accessibility, you know, on the one hand, or if a project team is like, we need to make this accessible and, and people are saying, yeah, we know how to do this as opposed to, oh my gosh, where do I start? Um, so two, two big areas that are things that p- people might not automatically think of. They might talk about like test automation, which is obviously important. And some of the more like, Making, making those tools more accessible and available, yes. But there's some, there is some like people aspects and culture change that needs to happen if, if we are going to really make a dent in 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 this problem space that, that Mike and I work in.
1: Yeah, Jennison, you hit so many great topics in there that we could be talking for a lot longer. (laughs) Um, But I wanna reemphasize Teach Access because you and I both have been real champions of this from the very start. But this idea that we want students graduating to be prepared and ready to build an accessible future when they get to these jobs in tech and other places. And unfortunately, that hasn't been the case. It's not standard curriculum in higher education. Um, Even the professors don't really know how to teach this subject. But there's a lot of good things happening. So, Teach Access was really to bring together um, advocacy groups with tech companies, um, academic institutions, and to try and, and students obviously, and bring all of the knowledge that we have back into education to prepare the next generation. And I got to say, when we interact with students and we interact with them a lot through Teach Access, uh, teachaccess.org, if you guys want to go check that out, um, it's amazing the passion and the interest and um, the ideas that they have about how to make the world more inclusive and make things more accessible. So I'm really optimistic about when you say the next five years, what will it be like? Well, a couple things. First of all, you're going to find Facebook apps even more accessible than they are today. They're going to be way greater, and we're going to have some really cool innovations. So be prepared Absolutely. buckle up for those. Those are going to be awesome. Uh, the the other thing is I think we're going to have an entirely new generation of uh, technologists coming in who are now used to standard products, if you will, um, that have accessibility built into them and assume that. Where this generation that's currently working kind of had to learn that over the last 10 years, like that was a thing. The next generation's like, well, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't it be that way? They've never experienced it without that. And that's a great change in mentality and in culture. And so I'm really optimistic about where things are going. I think the other thing too, and I think it's hard to touch on this earlier, was uh, what we call XR or extended reality. And so when we think about the technology of choice today, it's a mobile phone. You get it. You have it. We talk about everybody in the world having one. But as we move forward, this idea of having artificial reality glasses or XR or virtual reality goggles and being able to travel when you can't travel or meet people who you can't be with personally or work in an office environment from your home within this new virtual world of having senses and capabilities you don't have today in the physical space but you could have in the virtual space. These are all things that are actually happening now um, and are really, really exciting. And there's a good chance in five years that will be the technology you reach for first because it's so compelling. Um, and we it's an open field in terms of access. It's in the very early stages, like an iPhone when it was back in 2008, you know, what's access, what does that mean? How are we gonna build yeah. it? And there were people at the time fearing that that product would not be accessible and would actually undo because it's touchscreen based and it's just flat glass. It was scary. All the access that we would have had over the last 10 years, it's gonna be gone. Let's stop, we can't have this. And we had people petitioning us to stop building an iPhone because it wasn't, they couldn't imagine how it could be accessible. And it turns into the most accessible platform, arguably, that's existed. And so I think I have that same optimism when it comes to these virtual reality goggles and AR glasses and, and other types of extended reality, that it is such an incredible new leap forward that the things that we can do if we choose to do them, which I'm, we're working really hard to make sure that's a thing through XR access and XR mm-hmm. education.
2: I was just going to bring that up.
1: Yeah. Like those are groups of, of industry players that are getting together again with people who represent uh, different disabilities. To say, let's not wait three or five or ten years to make these accessible. Let's start now. So as these things begin to come out, they're accessible from the beginning and not at the end. And so there's a, it's pretty exciting time actually to imagine what the world will be like in five years and beyond. Um, it can be way more accessible, and there's a lot of work to be done, no question. Um, but we're starting to see all the things coming together to make that happen.
0: Outstanding. Well, guys, as we uh, as we conclude here, I'd love to give each of you just a minute just to, in closing, if you've got, you know, uh, some parting thoughts that you'd want to share with the audience. Genesis. Uh,
2: yeah, sure. I'll, I'll start. Um, I, I encourage folks to visit gad.foundation um, to check out what what Joe and I have planned with, with the foundation. Um those of you who are interested, uh, there's a meetup happening uh, between 4.30 and 6.30 p.m. today, uh, May 20th. That's Pacific uh, Standard uh, Time. Uh, if you go to meetup.com forward slash A11Y Bay, uh, we will be talking about accessibility there. Uh, follow the GAD hashtag on Twitter or your favorite social media. And Eric, I just want to say that I thank you for giving uh, myself, A, an opportunity to chat it up with Mike, because uh, we don't we don't get to do that nearly enough, but I, I always I'm learning so much uh, through Mike's generosity and sharing history um, and, and, and just sharing experience that way. So thank you to both of you for this morning and happy gag.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jenison. I so appreciate it. And you're right. We're so busy in our jobs. We don't always get a chance to get together. So <laughs> even if it's in front of everybody in public, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, for sure. So thank you for uh, inviting me to join it has been an honor and a privilege to kind of think back over the last 10 years and maybe even a little further about where we've been and where we're going and the, the progress that we made. That is what GAD is all about, is to bring awareness mm-hmm. to what's been happening and where are we and, and who else is involved in this work. As I said, I'm really optimistic, um, and I think it's a pretty exciting time. Um, if you want to learn more about what's going on at Facebook, visit our facebook.com slash accessibility page. and kind of keep track of what's going on there. And certainly I want to encourage people to check out teachaccess.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they're kind of interested in that XR space, go check out XR Access and XRA, two groups uh, that are really going to be forming the future of a lot of the technology you'll be using uh, going forward. So um, pretty cool times. And I can't wait till the next GAD. Uh, there'll be a lot more to share and talk about. Um, I'm going to so. be in Mongolia. <laughs> <laughs> we won't be in person together in one place that would be a right a that would be fun next year okay.
0: to do a reunion and uh in mongolia you
1: know,
0: yeah. Mon- oh in mongolia well, wherever, wherever mongolian beef food. that sounds oh, delicious. hey hey, yeah do yeah, that yep All right. thank you well cool guys well hey um thanks so much uh Jenison and mike for joining us today uh as we leave uh there was another big thing that Took place today. The registration for our annual uh, conference and convention opened today, uh, July 16th to the 23rd. It's virtual this year. And uh, so if you're interested in looking at what's going to take place, we've got over 130 breakouts uh, that have been lined up so far and about eight days worth of content. So please feel free to visit www.acbconvention.org to look at that stuff and register Uh, registrations open until the 28th of June. And then uh, in addition to that, uh, as I said in the beginning to learn more about us, please feel free to visit www.acb.org to learn about the great work that we do, uh, learn how you can become a member, or if you want to support the organization, uh, please feel free to hit the donate button. And uh, again, thanks so much, everybody, for joining us today. Look forward to being back with you all again soon. And as always, keep advocating. Take care. Uh
1: Thanks for listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. You can reach us by emailing advocacy at acb.org. The ACB Advocacy Update is a production of the American Council of the Blind in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about ACB, visit us online at www.acb.org.